I'm Karen Lewis, and thank you for listening to Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. This podcast is about life in recovery from an eating disorder, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges. Episodes will include stories from fully recovered professionals about the sometimes sad, sometimes painful, but always beautiful accounts from their recovery. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone. I am really excited about this podcast. So our next guest is Taryn Cagnina, who is a colleague and a friend of mine. And the reason why I emphasize that is you will often hear me say everything I thought I was going to get in the eating disorder, I didn't get until I was fully recovered, including genuine friendship. It is not something you can find when you're in an eating disorder, which involves things like lying, which I'm sorry to say, I'm not a liar, but man, did I lie in my eating disorder. If you're isolating, because by the way, my eating disorder behaviors were not conducive to social settings. And yes, I know it is COVID-19 and we are not in social gatherings right now, but This too shall pass, and I don't mean that lightheartedly. Relationships come when you're recovered, when you're present, when you're vulnerable, when you're silly, when you're sad, when you're quiet, when you're genuine. I could go on and on. None of that is allowed, and I'm gonna use the word allowed, or at least none of it was allowed for me in my eating disorder. In fact, that's what my eating disorder was protecting me from. Vulnerability, silliness, quietness, sadness, all the things that make us human, which is what true friendship is about. So I'm really excited. You're gonna hear how Taryn and I are friends. You're actually gonna hear how I am actually friends with almost every guest that I have in this podcast. What a gift I have given to myself as a recovered person. All right, everyone, enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. I'm your host, Karen Lewis, and I am thrilled to announce this week's guest, Taryn Cagnina. Taryn, welcome and thank you for being here. Hi, Karen. Thanks so much for having me. So thrilled. So thrilled. Taryn, you and I have known each other for many, many years. We have worked together. You're an incredible colleague and a friend of mine, and I'm just so grateful to have you on the podcast. Thanks again. Oh, I'm so excited. Great. Taryn, before we get started, I would love for you to give just a little snippet or bite, shall we say, of who you are and what you do so our guests can learn a little bit about you. Yeah, so I am a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Massachusetts. Um, I've been in the mental health field for about 10 years now, uh, and uh, I am also fully recovered from an eating disorder. So I started working specifically in eating disorder treatment about five years ago. Uh, And um, it really has just been so rewarding to have that approach, as I know you also have as well, where, you know, we're, we're recovered and connecting to clients in a really special way that I, I think I was missing from my work previously. And so I really found a passion in eating disorder treatment. And now with, um, I'm also certified in EMDR. And 
So I'm really focusing on treating trauma and eating disorders as there's such a high comorbidity. Um, and so, I feel really strongly about helping them. Yeah, so intertwined with so many of our clients. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when you use the word re- rewarding. I was talking to my producer, Jen, before we got on. And uh, I said, Jen, I always get a little tearful right before I start a podcast. We were trying to figure out what it was. And I said, hold on, let me go deep inside. And the reality is, is this is big work that we're doing, right? And because we're recovered, I think we know how big it is. And so this podcast, as fun as it is for me to do it, I get to work with colleagues and friends and use my voice. It's also big. Recovery is hard. Eating disorders are hard. So that's just what came to my mind when you said how rewarding it is. It's so important. Oh, absolutely. And I think the one of the reasons why is because you and I both know what it was like to be in a place where we felt hopeless and we and we felt like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get rid of these behaviors, you know, because we felt so powerless to fight them. And now being on the other side of things, you know, uh, I'm able to kind of hold that hope as you are, as you know, for our clients. Um, And so, you know, while I can't say I didn't always believe in full recovery, you know, I think it's something that I learned in retrospect. um, And especially after starting to work with you in eating disorder treatment, and really learning a lot from from observing you and, um, and getting to work alongside you. And, you know, I, I had to ask myself, am I fully recovered? And what does that mean? Um, And so, I found that, yeah, I think I, I am fully recovered and I have been for over 10 years now. Um, and so now I get to, to give back and I, and I get to say, hey, you know, and, and look a client in the eyes and really they know too, you know, and you know how powerful it is to have yes. that, that kind of connection with somebody and say, hey, I know I've been there and I'm telling you it gets better. I also know how to say, don't bullshit a bullshit artist, because I have been there. (laughs) So true. (laughs) It's one of my favorite lines with clients. So, but that is when obviously we are talking about recovery. So what is your thoughts about can anybody recover? And I want to add recovering or being recovered. Let me say that is not just about ending behaviors. It is about a mindset. It is about a sense of who you are, uh, an inner sense of strength. So do you believe anybody can recover? Absolutely. I think it's possible for everyone. Um, And while not everyone does, you know, I think believing in the possibility and opening the mind. um, So it's not like I want to be clear and say, you know, it's not that I just think, oh, well, recovered is where it's at. You know, there are all these different points along the way in recovery. So it's like, you know, there's this really beautiful journey that can happen. And it's all like, this is kind of how I see life now is that, you know, from being on the other side of it um, and feeling really hopeless about things and, and really struggling. And I agree. I'm glad you said, Karen, that it's not just about behaviors. Yeah. I think I was able to start to do some really deeply personal work on myself once I was behavior free. And that's kind of like, to some degree where the real work started for me, um, in a therapeutic sense. Um, and, and then, you know, it only got better from there, but it is, it can be really trying. Um, and I, I get why people are like, I don't know if it's for me. I don't know, you know. Um, but the reality is, I think we know that there's parts of ourselves, and I talk about this with my clients, where it's like that mindset that you're talking about, I kind of describe it as being in headspace versus heart space. Yeah. And so like, yeah. So I think I think headspace again, and I'm not talking like intellectual versus emotional, that's different. That's like parts of the brain. I'm talking like, I think of it as being stuck in my head because eating disorders 
bring us fully into this world that is not based on reality. It's so distorted. And I remember what that was like. And and to feel like I, I looked around at everything as food, weight, appearance, da, 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 da. Today, I don't even think about that. Like it's, it, my focus is, has flipped so much. And how I did that and how you did that and how we all did that is by getting in touch with our heart space, with who we are underneath it all. You know, um, we call it the soul self, you know, right. but, but that, that is how I cope with things. So I, I found because, Hey, eating disorders are really hard to get rid of because they're great coping skills. I, and they're super dangerous. Yes. So, yes. Um, and I think that I actually want to just jump into the body aspect of that because I think there's this idea that um, something, you know, that comes up a lot for clients is when they talk about my sick body versus my recovered body and, and kind of compartmentalizing these different bodies. Right. Which is so interesting to me because I never felt like I, compartmentalized in that way I was certainly disconnected from my body like my head kind of felt like it was a balloon a little bit and like didn't really know how I could how I felt about anything or you know there was just like this kind of disconnect um and forging that connection through you know finding what was really important to me living in my values and realizing the eating disorder didn't match up with that um, I was able to reconnect, but I, it's, it's really fascinating to me that people talk about it as if they're different, because I actually think that it's always your body and taking ownership of that is kind of important that it's yes. like, you know, there's no, because in that way you kind of remove yourself a little bit from it. And it's like the goal I think is to integrate it and to, to become whole again. Um, and so that's that's what I think about when um, when people talk about you know the, the body aspect of it and then you know you and I I think agree on the fact that body image is kind of like the last piece of the puzzle to fall into place uh, so you know kind of focusing away from that initially while you're working on the behaviors and you know kind of um, again getting in touch with those those things that really drive you because yeah something else has to take priority, I think. And so, you know, that, that's what, there were things that were more important and that became more important to me in life. And I know you feel similarly too. (laughs) So nobody, nobody can see me right now, but I'm like biting my tongue because I want to talk so badly. And I'm like, you know, raising my hands. So first of all, One thing I do want to say that I I just want to make sure we're very clear about, Mm -hmm. it's not, an eating disorder is not a great coping skill. It's a great maladaptive coping skill. Mm -hmm. It's a great escape from what you're truly feeling. So I do just want to, just wanted to clarify that. And when I said, when I say that, I mean, it's getting you through something and and it's a survival skill and that's why it feels so hard to get rid of because it it has been kind of there for you in really hard times. But yes, thank you so much for yes. clarifying. It is not a great coping skill. Yeah. Although I love that you say it's a survival because for me, it was my way of surviving emotionally in a world that felt unbearable to me, too toxic too loud, too quiet, too this, whatever it was, it was a survival instinct. And I often say to clients, you are really smart. You are trying above all to survive things that are not, that are not working for you or not feeling good. There's other ways of getting there though. That's why I always say anything that you're trying to find in the eating disorder, I want you to find that too. There's just other ways. If you're looking for safety through the eating disorder, I want you to feel safe too, but I want you to feel it in a, in a healthier way. If you're looking for confidence, I want you to feel confidence. There's other ways of getting there, right? So it's a survival cope, maladaptive coping skill, but you're going in the wrong direction. Also, one more thing is the priorities. 
I say to clients, if there is one thing, I don't care what it is, that is a little bit higher priority than the eating disorder, you're already working towards being recovered. Mm-hmm. Because typically the, the eating disorder takes full priority. But if we can find that one thing that means just a little bit more, I want to capitalize on that. That's what I want to start strengthening. And then we, we work from there. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, and I feel like we're sort of switching directions a little bit, but you know, as we're talking about your own experience and we're talking about the function of an eating disorder, how do you today cope with the underlying issues that for some people turn into an eating disorder, for some people turn into alcoholism, for you as a recovered person turns into a bit of curiosity to, to figure out? Yeah, so I, I think one thing that I always had besides um, eating disorder behaviors and, and prior to eating disorder behaviors, because sometimes you'll have things about you that, you know, were clear from the very beginning. And one thing I always did was I journaled my feelings or, you know, even when I was really, really young, I would at least write things down. Um, so that became a, an important coping skill early on and throughout the course of my life. Um, and I think I see this in clients as well, where they'll notice like, oh yeah, I used to write all the time. And then in my eating disorder, I lost that, you know? Um, and so these are the kinds of things we can take back in recovery too. And so, um, the other thing I had always was the arts. So even though, you know, my relationship became complicated, for instance, with dance at some point, because it was a little intertwined with my eating disorder, um, I was able to find and, and rely on the passion um, and because it, it wasn't about my body. I mean, it became about my body for a little while, but I was able to really reconnect with the passion and what it did for me. And what it did for me was actually help me process emotions. Anything that I didn't understand, anything that I was sad about, because, you know, trauma was a big piece of my story as well. And so it took a lot of retroactive, retroactive, yeah, retroactive yep. learning um, to understand what was actually happening, you know, because we don't always understand in the moment, we're just kind of feeling and kind of, you know, um, especially when our brains aren't fully developed yet, you know, prior to age 25. So, yep. you know, I was kind of trying to put these pieces together and putting my emotions where I could. And one place I put them was into, you know, creating a choreography, for instance, or singing a song. And so that's something I'm really grateful for, um, you know, and theater, as you know, has been um, kind of like a, a coping skill in and of itself for me. I am going to ask you a question. I have a client in mind. I can picture her sitting on my couch right now. She is also in the arts, uh, does a lot of shows, uh, does a lot of improv, has to wear a lot of costumes. And she sits on my couch crying, saying, you have no idea how hard it is to be in any body and be in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. to be out there acting. Taryn, how do you get through it? In fact, I even said to her in a session one day, oh my goodness, I have a colleague friend that I want <laughs> you to talk to. It's real because yeah. there's a lot of people out here. I have, I have a lot of Emerson students that hopefully are listening to this. Can you give some guidance? Yeah. Ooh, first of all, just want to validate that it is super hard because- yes. The reality is, yes, you are, in a sense, selling a package and, mm-hmm. um, and, and body and, and weight and size and appearance are all part of this brand that you're selling. Um, and there are really, you know, lots of complicated things that go into that. Um, I think one thing that I was able to do again was to, to remind myself of what was really important to me about being involved in the arts. Um, and while that wasn't always possible, you know, eating disorders did pull focus. Um, I was able to kind of still utilize that, you know, and really got in touch with like what forms of dance, for instance, were really 
more from a passionate place and what mm. forms of dance were not really forms of dance I actually enjoyed, but was just doing because I had to, or just because, yeah. you know, somebody was telling me to. And, and that's like kind of a, a nugget of truth that I think is actually expands to all sort of exercise related addictions or, um, you know, uh, compensatory behaviors yes. in any sort of eating disorder, um, you know, that actually you and I had a colleague that worked with us and it was something she said, it was a personal trainer that we had and she um, working with eating disorders. And she said, you have to love, love what you do. And in terms of exercise, so it's, it's actually an act of love towards your body because it so easily becomes an act of punishment in an eating disorder. Yeah. And so I had to ask myself, you know, like, am I doing this movement because I love it or because I think that it's, you know, the right thing to do the healthy quote unquote, which is like a whole other thing, yeah. but the healthy thing that society says to do. Um, and so that in addition to surrounding myself with level-headed folks, because in the entertainment industry, like many other industries, there are a lot of people that, I mean, you're inherently competitive with other people. And that's part of what drove me away from doing it as a business was I don't like to be in the competition or comparison of people. Um, and yeah, so that's- so, I'm sorry. We, yeah, we, try, we try really hard not to talk over each other. This is- one of the things that I talk about with clients, this is why the work is so hard to do. What happens if you love something, but it comes at the cost of an eating disorder? I say to them, if clients say, but I love doing this. And I say, I get it. But at what cost are you? Is it at the cost of your physical and emotional well-being? Then we either need to find an alternative way of doing it or we need to grieve the fact that this is not this is not in your best interest and there's a lot of grieving to do and you'll get through it. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, I was able I was lucky enough to be able to find a way to still engage in it in a way that felt meaningful. Um, yeah. it was just that, you know, for me personally being, you know, relying on the arts for my primary source of income was not <laughs> helpful. <laughs> helpful to my anxiety. So I decided for many other reasons not to do it for business, but I still always did it as a hobby, as a passion, and actually ended up still doing it professionally, like fairly recently, because um, it it's so, I, I do think there is a way. So I, I don't want to discourage people and, and yes. have you believe that, you know, oh, if I'm, you know, if I'm an actress, there's no way that I can, you know, recover from an eating disorder and still be an actress. You absolutely, absolutely. Can. And especially there are so many helpful things right now. You know, social media has posed a lot of challenges, but it also can be super helpful if you follow the right accounts. You know, there's, there's plenty of um, body positive and, you know, um, mental health focused accounts, um, including my own. TLC. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is what is that? Could you tell our listeners what that is? Yeah, sure. You can follow me at TLC Healing Arts. That's also known as Recovered for Life. Um, and I just post. Um, I it's something that I created fairly recently during this pandemic that we're in the midst of, and I just felt like you know that was a way that I could connect with my clients, with my colleagues while we're separated, um, and keep a positive vibe and, and social media presence. Um, where, whereas there are so many accounts and so many unhelpful messages we're receiving, especially during this pandemic. And I know we just talked about movement and like, that is, I think something that I'm hearing a lot from people right now is, and I think just human beings in general, you know, feel cooped up and feel antsy, but then there's the difference between, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm feeling guilty because I'm not moving. And so um, I think, you know, one thing that you can do as we're kind of expected to kind of sit here and sometimes we end up scrolling through our phones, you know, yes. it's inevitable. <laughs> Shelter in place, right? Right. So stop, drop and scroll. 
that's my that's my new motto. So you know, unfollow those accounts. I'm challenging my own my clients to do this as well. Like, stop, drop, unfollow, and then keep scrolling. And for every negative, you know, body focused like uh, diet culture esque account that you unfollow start following an account that's actually positive and, you know, health at every size or intuitive eating focused or something like that. So, um, yeah, those are, those are some things you can do right now while it's, you know, admittedly a little bit more difficult for all of us. Or something even completely away from body things like that. Like look up things about meditation, look up things, by the way, you can do, you can actually go to any museum right now and do a virtual tour of a museum. These are the healthy coping skills that we talk about. These are the healthy distractors that if you can utilize them, this is where, and you know, we've talked before about what you can eat. You can go one of two ways. You can either go down the path right now of scrolling through all of these diet culture things and here's a quick way to lose weight in 22 seconds, you know, something absurd. Or you can say, I'm going to do a virtual tour of the MFA of MoMA. I'm going to, I can, I can actually go anywhere in the world right now because almost everything is virtual. I don't have to subscribe to this. So agree with that. Thank you for mentioning because my account is actually not, I don't post pictures of myself at all. Um, So it's while I am body positive, I'm, I don't personally share things like that. And my whole intention in doing that is to pull the focus off of body weight. I do share pictures of food and cooking, but it's all with like all these caveats about like, you know, these are portions that are right for me. And, and I just want to familiarize people with what it could look like, right? But that's only one option, you know, and everybody's different. Right. Um, and so there's that part of it. Um, and I also feel like, you know, don't feel, I, I agree with you with, with being mindful about what you're feeding your brain and, you know, um, if you're whole at the same, in the same breath, I think what partially you're trying to say, Karen, is like, you can't have your entire life also be about recovery, like, you know, and your eating disorder. So it's like, you got to fill it with other things too, because if you're just like a hundred percent focused on, you know, it's the same thing. The eating disorder is already focused a hundred percent on food, weight, body appearance. So if you're doing that, even in a recovery focused way, you're still not like, you're still missing out on these, like these pieces, you know, like we were talking priorities, um, that I think could be uncovered. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting because some of this is not even unique to eating disorders. Correct. I, I do virtual cocktail parties with my friends a few times a week and we're all like, so what's new? Dead silent. Nothing's new. Nothing's new with any of us. We're home. We're quarantined because of COVID-19. Find something. You know, something now we're talking, oh, did you do this virtual tour? Did you do that virtual tour? It is It is work sometimes to do the work. I guess that's not the right way of putting it, but there's something else that I wanted to comment on, and you and I have spoken about this. I love that you don't put any pictures of your body or anybody else's body because a body does not determine whether or not someone has an eating disorder. And how many times I've had clients, I run support groups, I give talks and people come up to me after I give some of my talks with tears in their eyes. And they say, because I don't look the stereotype of what an eating disorder is. I don't get treated. I don't get the treatment I deserve. I don't get the support I deserve. Mm-hmm. Nobody takes it seriously. And it, it, Taryn, it breaks my heart. This is one of the functions of this podcast, getting all this information out. So that's why photographs of a body means nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I so, so agree with you. And it's so important that, 
that is also just continuously said because there's so much, that is where the stigma is still really intense around who can have an eating disorder and yes. what type of body looks like, you know, there's actually an account I follow that's like, you don't look like you're sick, you know, oh. all like me- memes about, you know, and that it, it helps. Cause it's like, you know, that's right. There is eating disorders do not discriminate. And some of the most underserved people are people of color or transgender folks. And, yep. you know, and it's luckily, I think treatment centers are expanding and, and being more inclusive, but it's also really, really hard. I, I, you know, there are a lot of resources out there and I'd encourage you all, you know, who are listening to, to look at them. Um, but recovery is also, you know, non-discriminatory. Everybody can recover. So everybody can recover. And unfortunately, nobody is immune. And the reason why I say that is because nobody is is immune to human suffering. It is something that regardless, we all are, we all have to face at some points in our life for some more than others. And depending on certain personality traits or certain traumas that you've experienced or messages that you've gotten in the world, they can turn into an eating disorder, right? Yes. We're all impacted by, by traumatic things, trauma. We're, we're all collectively experiencing a traumatic event as we speak. Yes. Um, So, so nobody is kind of untouched in that way. And I come back to um, one of my favorite yoga teachers always says human suffering is optional. And what that means and what he, what I think he means by that is, you know, yes, we all suffer and we have different ways of dealing with it. And we get to choose in recovery, especially, you know, when, when you start making these choices to, to start making different choices about how I deal with things, yes, that's when, that's when beautiful things start to happen because you're, you know, um, it's, it can be crushing to go through things in life and we can come out on the other side of it and, and learn from it, even the worst things in the world. I mean, that's where I think our clients are just so amazing that what they teach mm-hmm. us about all of these different life things and, you know, seeing somebody go through something and witnessing that and, and honoring their feelings about it and validating their experience and sharing that with them and having them be like, you know what, that awful thing happened and I'm going to be okay. Yes. And I don't need my eating disorder. It's like, like (laughs) yes yes it's fantastic it's really important work and I'm just so grateful that I get to be a part of it all I know right I feel like we're very blessed we're very on I feel very honored to sit with clients and you know have them share with me and have them listen to me and sometimes have them fight with me and (laughs) you know all of it it's all rolled up in one um And the thing about nobody being immune to suffering, this is also what I say to my clients all the time. Clients often say, nobody is going to understand. I can't reach out to anyone because they're not going to understand. And I say, you know what? You're right. (laughs) Nobody is going to understand if they've never had an eating disorder. They're not going to understand. I can't eat my food. They're not going to understand I have to go purge. They're not going to understand I need to go binge. They don't know that language. But what they do understand is I had a really bad day and now I need something or someone to reach out to. Somebody made fun of me at school. I need to cry and be held and comforted. So everybody understands the underlying issues that go into the behaviors. But we're also, unfortunately, sometimes a society that has been taught, just say, I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's okay. And so we need to teach young children, use your voice, Mm -hmm. say what you feel. I also say to people, if somebody doesn't want to hear it, then that's okay. Somebody else does. Mm -hmm. You have to search for that, right? Yeah. 
And I think particularly the, the part of I, I identify most with is, um, you know, I know we were just talking about underserved populations, but, um, you know, starting with women as a minority, you know, and, yes. and all the feminist movements, you know, that, um, and, and we're all included, you know, we're all a part of this. And a big aspect of that voice is being told as a minority, you know, that you're too much. Yes. Your voice needs to be silenced or they, you know, it is actively trying to be silenced. Um, And that, that is where I, I think I have found the most powerful part of recovery for me personally is finding my voice and, and using it and being, you know, a person who says the truth, you know, yep. I, I think that's something actually that I do a lot with my clients is I say the hard truths with hopefully warmth and compassion. Well, as you know, as you and I, who both worked for Carolyn Costin, that famous saying truth without judgment. Yes. I'm not judging you. I'm just holding a mirror up. I'm just speaking the truth Mm -hmm. and I'll help you get through how it feels to hear that truth because that truth can be hard sometimes. There's no judgment. That leads me to ask. Now, I'm smiling because I know the answer because I've known you for so long, but who or what was instrumental in your recovery process? I love this answer. So the, the question is, um, I think, who, who or what played the most influential role in my recovery? Yes. And so I, when I was thinking about answering this question, you know, I think it's like the instinct is to think about somebody like a support who has helped you. And while I did have a lot of support and nobody recovers alone, I think the most influential person was me. Yes. Say it again. (laughs) Who was the most influential person? It was me. Yeah. Because, you know, I think this is something I share with my clients as well, that we have to have as many backup plans, as many coping skills as, as feelings, because, you know, one day that, that one coping skill, not going to work. So you have to go to the next one and the next one and the next backup plan and supports aren't always available and that's okay. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to be reliant on someone, you know, I'm really, really lucky. I'm grateful for growing up with, um, you know, this wonderful group of women that I'm friends with to this day that I can call at midnight. I can call anytime and they will be there for me. And there are times when maybe their newborn is screaming and and they're not available And so I need to be able to walk myself through a panic attack and to ground myself and to know how to take care of myself. And so at the end of the day, I have to be able to come back to myself and be okay with that. Because if, if I'm consistently looking outside of myself, then in my opinion, I'm not fully recovered. Right. Right. And that's another reason why working with a recovered professional, a recovered professional who knows how to self-disclose appropriately in a very clinical way, that is something that I find invaluable. So I can say to a client, I know what it feels like to say, I have no support. There's nobody there to, to call or reach out to. And then I had to learn how to do it myself. And I can say that with experience. I can say that also with vulnerability and say, I get it. It was really hard for me to do it at first. So it looks like you were going to say something. So go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, and I'm also thinking eating disorders don't discriminate with age, right? So we we have, but the majority of our clients have been, I would say, in that like, late teens, early twenties kind of range. And I only mention that because I think that is a particular age range and time when we're, we're looking at our families and, you know, there's a lot of dynamics there and it can be sort of like, 
oh, but my family doesn't get it or they don't, you know, and I just want to say for anybody out there who either doesn't have supportive family, mm-hmm. who has family around that, you know, but they just don't get it or they just don't have that support whatsoever, that it's still possible to recover. Mm-hmm. I, I personally have not necessarily always had that support either. And that's why I say, come back to yourself. Mm-hmm. You actually get to choose what you believe in mm-hmm. recovery. And once you're, you're kind of of a certain age to, to identify yourself separately from your family, you get to decide, you know, based on these worldviews I grew up with, which ones do I, I not agree with? You know, mm-hmm. now that I am an adult, which ones do I actually believe? And yeah. so then you get to live your own truth. Yeah. And you get to leave that behind. And that's really powerful. Yeah. We also get to create our own families. So I say to clients very often, you know, I I run this support group and I say family members are invited and supports and whatnot. And someone will say, but I don't, I don't really have any family members to support me. And I say, create it. You're hopefully, and I say this meaning hopefully, because it's not always easy. Your friends, your college roommate, your partner, your whoever. Sometimes we need to create a family system. I'm very lucky. I have an unbelievable family system. I also learned when I moved out to San Francisco and I was all by myself and I didn't know anybody. And even though I could pick up the phone and call someone in my family, I had to create my San Francisco family. And I did. And they're beautiful. They're still my family to this day. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be a traditional, because what is tradition? There's no such thing anymore. Thank God. Right? Yeah. 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 And I'll I'll, uh, venture into another just last kind of aspect about this. But, you know, there's kind of this cliche that um, in order to recover or to move on, you know, in any sort of healing process that you need to forgive people. Um, and, uh, I am of the unpopular opinion, I think, Say it. <laughs> you know, love that, unpopular. Yeah. That I, I think I'm one of the only therapists that doesn't actually agree with forgiveness and perhaps it's a language thing, you know, it's just, but the word forgiveness means to me like that, you know, I'm willing to let go of this emotionally, which I understand, you know, cause I think that's important, but then it's like, and I can like this was okay. Like, that's what it's saying to me in my mind. Right. And I'm like, well, there are some things that are like completely okay. unforgivable. Yes. And I don't tell my clients, you need to forgive them. I get that, you know, on some level, perhaps forgiving yourself is important, but I don't think you need to forgive. I think you, I think you need to, you know, process those emotions, move on, you know, sure and accept the reality, like radical acceptance, sure, this is what happened. I need to accept that this happened and I'm not living in that place anymore, or I'm not living in those circumstances anymore. So I can now choose, you know, kind of like what I was talking about before with the family stuff. So um, that's a cliche (laughs) that I think, you know, we can, we can actually let go of, like, it's okay to, to just, to not, forgive people. It's actually more than okay. And I want to thank you for that quote unquote unpopular opinion. (laughs) I think it can be even damaging to say to a client, you need to forgive. Wow. That's a, that's a tall tale to ask. Is that even the right expression? I don't even think I use the right metaphor. Tall order? Tall order, whatever. (laughs) People who know me, I always (laughs) always say things incorrectly. But that I think can be another trauma on top of a trauma. Yes. To say to somebody, somebody hurt you. Somebody, Somebody took advantage of you, invaded your personal space. Forgive them? No. And- but I do, that's the, the words that, that you were using. It's that radical acceptance. And I always say acceptance doesn't mean you're like, golly gee, I accept that this happened. Acceptance means I am angry. I have work to do because of it. I am sad. I feel violated. I feel confused. I feel frustrated. 
but I also accept that it happened. I'm not in denial. And now I'm going to start working through my emotional experience from it. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. That, that is powerful. That is powerful. So you said that that's a cliche that you don't like. What is a cliche that you do like? Ooh, um, I'm sure there's like a million of them. Right. Um, you know, I think one that sticks out in my head is, um, I don't necessarily agree with as it's worded. I'm, I'm very particular. I'm very picky with my language here, but thank God everything, <laughs> everything happens for a reason. Um, and it's not like, I don't think about that in the sense that, oh, you know, like in, I, I do think that there's kind of like a, a religious sort of view of that saying, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like things are preordained and that is not how I mean it. Um, I mean, sort of in this same vein of radical acceptance, like I accept that this happened. The reason there's, there might not be a reason actually, mm-hmm. but there's always a lesson of some kind that we can take from things that happen yes. in life because at the older you get, you kind of are able to, through experience, realize that, you know, retroactively, we, we learn things about ourselves and we learn things about, oh, you know what? But if that terrible thing hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been put into this particular set of circumstances that then led to this amazing, amazing thing. Like, honestly, Karen, I'm sitting here talking about this and then I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm describing like, how I ended up moving out to California and then coming back and working with you as my boss. And now here we are years later when like we're friends and you're kind of like my mentor and here I am on your podcast. And right. (laughs) It's again, this is when you're talking about language is so important because, and this is where I was talking about people can add trauma on top of other trauma. Now I want to say that when people say things happen for a reason, my experience is that they're saying it because they don't know what else to say. They're so uncomfortable and they're pulling and they're trying to find something. I was in a very, very serious accident 25 years ago when I was out in San Francisco. And everybody was saying to me like, well, it happened. I don't want to say everybody. Let me take a step back. Many people said, Karen, it happened for a reason. The more that people said that to me, the more I literally became afraid to walk out of my apartment. Mm. I thought if this, if that could happen to me for a reason, I have no control over my life. I have no destiny, but I'm not in control of my destiny. I'm just waiting for something else to happen because remember it happened for a reason. Mm -hmm. And finally, somebody said to me, I'm so sorry that this happened, Karen. Do you think there's anything you can take from it? Do you think there's anything you want to learn from the process? And I was blown out of the water. It was the first layer. I literally had such severe PTSD that I was afraid to leave my apartment. It was the first like moment I thought I, it did happen. It, 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 it's not, I, I still have control of my life. What I choose to do with every experience is my choice, but I'm not just a trauma waiting to happen. I'm not just an accident waiting to happen, a sexual assault, a house fire, whatever it is. I'm not just sitting in waiting. Right. And that was a powerful, powerful experience. I also want to say it changed my life. That is when I decided to go back to graduate school and become Mm -hmm. a therapist. So do I, do I wish the accident happened? No, but it did. Mm -hmm. I accept it Mm -hmm. and I worked through it. Yeah. You know, I want to say, Taryn, first of all, I just, I love you so much. I could, I could just, as I say, and I say to you all the time, you and I do talk quite often and we can talk forever. Um, (laughs) We do, we do have to start bringing the podcast to an end. So I like to end the podcast though, with something fun, right? Why not? So 
My fun question for you is, if somebody was going to write something about you on the bathroom stall, what would that be? Um, well, not my choice, but I'm sure it would say something like annoyingly honest. <laughs> annoyingly honest. Say more. What does that mean? Yeah, I, you know, I think long story short, I felt like I was lied to a lot in my life. I think the truth is probably my number one. Honesty is priority in my relationships. Um, and so, and I feel really proud. Like I was saying that I found my voice and I'm able to speak the truth so often, but that's not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> and they don't like to hear it all the time. So, you know, that's when I come back to my clients. And again, I, I hope that I do it with, warmth, compassion, humor, you know, yes. all those things. <laughs> I like to say that you're powerfully honest. Oh, thank that's, you. That's what I feel like. And honesty is power, right? That is a powerful tool. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Secrets keep you sick. Don't that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So Taryn, again, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, my dear friend, dear colleague. I also want to thank each and every one of you for listening to this episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. And I look forward to speaking to all of you again next week on our next episode. Okay, everyone, stay safe. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, everybody, be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week. <laughs>